It's a real joy to be with you this morning. As Jim said, my name's Scott, married to the wonderful Sarah. Um, we're part of uh, Testwood Baptist Church in Totten. Um, I'm the youth pastor there. We've been there for, for about four years or so. Previous to that, we were in Dorset for a few years, just before I uh, graduated from Moreland's College, big up Moreland's. Um, so it's a real joy to be um, back with you guys this morning. Now, I want to talk about park runs. Okay, yeah, you guys know who you are. <laughs> so over the last 18 months, okay, event officials for the park run reckoned that park runs have tripled in size. Anyone a keen runner, part of a local running club, or oh, yeah, maybe a few, well, you guys will really enjoy this. When I was about uh, 12 or 13, my, my brother and I joined a, a local running club, okay? Now, just to clarify, we definitely did not do this for the fitness um, I only stuck at it for a couple of months, so that kind of proves that, but my, my brother stayed at it for a bit longer. Um, but we joined this particular running club, or cross-country club, not because of, of the fitness, one, because of the social aspect, because lots of our friends were kind of part of it, but two, and, and most importantly, because of where it was, right? See, one of, the, one of the routes that this club used to take would start in Wickham Square, just north of Fareham, if you know that, and we'd go up and all through the South Downs, and then we'd finish on Portsdown Hill. Now, if you've never been to Portsdown Hill, it's a beautiful place. You can see the whole of Portsmouth. You can see the Isle of Wight on a clear day. But more importantly, friends, Portsdown Hill is home to mixed monster burgers. <laughs> Motorcyclists, yes, good. We're all a big fan of mixed... Now, these burgers, okay, are honestly probably some of the best burgers I've ever had in my um, entire life. And more to the point, they're about this big. Am I lying? No, there we go. They are absolutely gigantic. Um, and everyone would kind of finish their cross-country run, okay? And then they'd come to mix and they'd get a can or a coffee or something and they'd buy one of these burgers just to prove they definitely weren't in it for the fitness. But yeah, right. But you know what? It was the greatest reward after all of that effort and determination in the run. It was the, it was the biggest motivation to keep going in those middle kilometres where things got really tough. It was a great thing to be able to keep your eye on the prize. And it got me thinking, kind of preparing for this morning, in the Christian walk, when things get really tough, during those middle kilometers, when it's not easy and anxiety is really real and, and suffering is really real and, and grief is painful, what's the motivation to keep going? And this morning, I think um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, has a response to this question um, as we look at the book of Philippians together. Now, I was encouraged chatting to Jim a few weeks ago um, that, that I hear uh, you guys had a, a, a motto verse or verse of the year last year from Philippians chapter 3. Well, we're going to revisit that a little bit this morning. I pray that will be a real encouragement for us. Just before we uh, read God's word together, let's remind ourselves of where we are in the book of Philippians. We know that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, thanking God confidently and joyfully for their faith. He's He's greatly encouraged by how they're going in the Philippian church. And we see in chapter 1 that for the Christian, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's verse 21. And that means that for those in Christ, actually we can experience joy and fulfillment and contentment even during 
those trials and those sufferings. In Philippians chapter 2, we see humility as exemplified by Jesus in both life and death and how it's a a characteristic to be highly regarded by the Christian. And this morning, as we check out Philippians chapter 3, we're going to see Paul's example to press on with the goal of Christ. Um, I'd love it if you've got Bibles with me to, uh, with you to, to open them or turn them on to Philippians chapter 3. Um, I want to encourage you, come to church with a Bible. I think it says a lot about the attitude of our hearts. It's really good. Um, we're going to read Philippians chapter 3 together. Each week at Testwood, I ask the young people, I say, guys, why do we look at the Bible? And we think about, we look at the Bible because as Christians, don't we, we believe the Bible is God's word. God's inspired eternal word for us. And that means every time we read the Bible, God speaks to us. And so I'm going to pray that God would do that right now. Father, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that it's alive and active. And I pray by the power of your spirit that you would make us more like Jesus this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's going to be on the screen for you as well. This is Philippians 3, starting at verse 12. Paul writes... Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus called me heavenward. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Come on. I can't be the only person who's looking forward to that day. Right. Now, bird's eye view of of this passage from kind of verses 12 to 21 show us that they're held together, right, by two important repeating phrases. Firstly, according to verses 15 and 17, Christians are called to model themselves on the life of Paul. And secondly, according to verses 14 and 20, that pattern is to be lived out by keeping our gaze on the future. So follow Paul's example, keep your gaze on the future. Now these calls in in the first one, in verses 15 to 17, aren't substantially different from one another. But the future to which we're called to look towards is expressed in two brilliant ways in 14 and 20. And I think this is really helpful for us this morning. Verse 14 says we have a goal to be attained. But verse 20 says we have a saviour to be awaited. So there are two aspects then to the life modelled on Paul's example. On the one hand, it's a life of effort and determination and personal commitment in verses 13 and 14. And on the other hand, it's a life resting upon great certainties. 
particularly the abiding truths of the cross in verses 18 and 19, and the coming again of the Lord Jesus in verses 20 and 21. And so those two things are going to kind of make up our, our main points this morning. And so, friends, if the question this morning is, what's the motivation to press on? Then the answer is living with a goal. And according to Paul, we need to consider both the goal of self and the goal of Christ. So firstly, this morning, the goal of self in verses 13 and 14. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what is the goal when it comes to how we should view our lives and ourselves What attitude should we have when considering just how much our effort and determination really matter in our walk for Christ? What is our attitude towards our past, present, and future? Because this is where Paul focuses his attention. You see, if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul in any way, you'll know that prior to accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, Paul was like the biggest persecutor of God's church of God's people. He literally traveled miles on foot to threaten murder against the Lord's people. In the verses prior to the passage we read in Philippians chapter 3, Paul lists all of his achievements and how determined he was in his mission. You can look back with me if you've got your Bibles open. He says, verse 4, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, which just means human power, He says, I have more. He says, I'm part of this people. I was born into this tribe. As for the law, he says, I'm absolutely faultless. And true, he was. Paul had achieved a lot in his past. But does he say all this to boast? On the contrary. Verse 7 of Philippians 3, Paul says, Whatever were gains to me, past tense, whatever I've achieved in the past... I now consider garbage for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. It's pointless. It's absolutely rubbish. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this really hard. Like, everything I've been working towards, everything you've been studying towards, everything you've been building up to in your job, is it really irrelevant? No. Every day and every situation is refining you and shaping you more into the likeness of Jesus. The Bible calls that sanctification. But how does Paul view his past and present and future? Well, you can look back with me. Verse 13, his past, he forgets what lies behind with all its failures and defeats. His present, verse 14, he's resolved to press on. You see, Paul has not arrived. He's not saying, now I'm in Christ, now I know Jesus, that's the end game. There's a Marvel reference for you, Matt Smith. He says, there is still much more to come. He says, there is still work to do, friends. Now, Paul aims to run hard because he knows what lies ahead. Because how does Paul view his future? Verse 14, Paul reaches forward towards the finish line, the goal, the prize of being with Jesus, being like Jesus fully in the new creation. Friends, I wonder this morning, what will really matter at the end of your life on earth? Will what matters now and what we pay attention to now, will that still feel irrelevant or relevant then? Will you be filled with regret for what you did or didn't do? 
You see, distractions are everywhere, aren't they? TV, phones, movies, website, books, whatever you name it. Maybe there's a challenge for us here this morning to stop and evaluate how we invest our time. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, Do not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. And he says, run in such a way to get that prize. Paul says, run to win. Well, win what? The burgers from Mixed Monster Van? They're pretty good. But friends, Christ in all his fullness. Do you know, I think we often kind of get things wrong when we talk about heaven and the new creation. We're so quick to talk about no pain, no suffering, no death, no more tears, kind of Revelation 21 stuff. That's amazing. And I can't wait for that. But friends, that's not the goal. The goal is Jesus himself. The goal is Christ himself. Being with Jesus. Being like Jesus fully. Like, I'm, forward, I'm looking forward to no longer sinning. You see, this is the goal that Paul is longing for. That's how Paul views his past, present, and future. It's all pointing to that moment. When he stands face to face with Jesus Christ. And how does Paul want us to respond, his readers in Philippi to respond? Well, verse 15, have that same attitude towards our past, present, and future as he does. Verse 16, carry on living by that standard. Keep in step with his spirit. Abide by his perfect word. And verse 17, follow Paul's example and, did you notice this, and the example of other godly believers who also live in this same way. Take encouragement from them. Friends, it is possible to live this way. Imitate them as Paul imitated Christ. Let's just pause, right, and reflect on that. Maturity occurs through imitating mature believers. You ever thought about that? In other words, every Christian needs to have the same kinds of examples before them. Jim, thanks that you've been one of those for me. And do you know what? The proverb says, wise is the believer who has several of these people in their life, and seriously mistaken is the believer who thinks they have no such need of influences. And these are the enemies of the cross that Paul talks about in verses 18 and 19. But I wonder, who is your Paul your mentor, your godly example? Who is your Barnabas, your encourager during those middle kilometers when things get really tough? Do we need to humbly ask an older Christian to serve you in this way? Is there someone whom you could in turn invest in? See, Paul's first goal is the goal of self To think of ourselves and our lives in the right way. Not in a works gospel way that says my works earn my salvation. No, salvation through faith in Christ alone. But nonetheless, and here it is, a goal of self that sees our past achievements wiped, our present circumstances temporary, and friends, a future glory as the sole purpose for living on and pressing on, which leads to the second point this morning. Firstly, the goal of self, verses 13 and 14. And secondly, the goal of Christ, verses 20 and 21. Now I wonder, does anyone know where the marathon race came from? Open floor, we've got a nod. 
Yeah? Are you thinking about the Greek soldier who ran? Does anyone know his name? I think I can pronounce this correctly. I think I've even got an old school picture of him. I think it's pronounced Pheidippides. Turn to the person next to you and say Pheidippides. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird note. Now, Pheidippides, okay, was known as the first Olympic marathon runner. Allow me to set the scene for you, right? The year was 490 BC, so 490 years before Christ was born. And on the plains near the small town of Marathon, the ancient Greeks met the invading Persian army in battle. And if the Persians won, the Greek empire would topple completely. And against all possible odds, the Greeks charged into the Persian camp. They caught their enemy by surprise. They defeated the Persians and they saved the Greek empire. And a Greek soldier, Pheidippides, was dispatched to run to army headquarters in Athens, 22 miles away, with the good news. And with determination and resolve, he ran all night long from Marathon to Athens. And Pheidippides became a Greek hero, a symbol of determination and endurance. And as a tribute to this faithful soldier who ran so bravely throughout the night, the Marathon race was born. Now, I know what you're thinking... Why did they add an extra four miles? 22 miles is plenty enough. I'll never manage a marathon. But hey, friends, in the same way, Pheidippides was consumed with the determination to reach the line at the end. Believers in Christ must be consumed with the passion to serve Christ to the very end. And it's not a short-term goal. You see, if you don't have long-term goals, you'll have constant short-term frustration. God's word is great, isn't it, for insisting on living in the day. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. But friends, make no mistake, God's word never draws a foolish line between past, present, and future. The Christian life in the present takes into account the lessons and blessings of the past, not to mention the work of Christ on the cross, but also the demands and prospects of their future. But equally, we've got to be consumed with this forward look that is so characteristic of the New Testament that Paul was longing for this morning. He uses this language, doesn't he? Verse 13, straining towards... Verse 14, I press on toward the goal. I wonder what the goal you guys had last year. Was it last year you were thinking about this verse? Whether you made it or not, that's not the end game because we're still going. Did the apostles believe that Christ would return in their lifetime? Absolutely they did. The New Testament permits no other attitude. And here in verses 20 and 21, we have an audacious reminder that not only do we have a goal to attain in verse 14, but friends, we have a saviour to be awaited in verse 20. A saviour that is all-powerful, that is all-knowing, that will come again in that power to bring everything under his control and transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Come on, church. Verse 21. So how do these verses, 20 and 21, excite believers about what's to come? How does it motivate us to keep going in those middle kilometers, uphill through the South Downs, and keep going? How did mixed monster burgers motivate runners to keep going in those middle kilometers? Well, friends, let me tell you three things about these burgers, okay? Firstly, and I come into land with this, 
Firstly, they were distinctive. They were absolutely huge. No other burgers like them. Secondly, they were personal. They'd write your name on the serviette, just like Starbucks do with your coffee. And thirdly, they were guaranteed to be perfect every time. Friends, the goal of Christ, firstly, is a Christian's distinctive belief. We have got to be characterized by our hope of eternal glory. I often say to our young people at Tesswood that suffering with hope is your greatest witness. Suffering with hope is your greatest witness. If you can go through hard times in your life and still look up and hold firm to the faith you have in Christ, then friends, it's powerful. And people see that and it speaks to people. Suffering with hope is your greatest witness. We've got to be characterized by this hope. Otherwise, we just conform to the pattern of the world. The goal of Christ is a Christian's distinctive belief. But secondly, it's also a Christian's personal longing. Friends, your citizenship is in heaven, verse 20. In the first century Roman world, citizenship was often bestowed on a city, regardless of whether you were born in the city or not. Sometimes you would have never even visited the city, and you would have been in that city. But Paul is reminding the Philippian church that although they live under Roman colony, their name, friends, your name is with the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who is enthroned eternally at the right hand of the Father. And he will return to bring his citizens to his kingdom. The goal of Christ is a Christian's distinctive belief, a Christian's personal longing. And thirdly, it's a Christian's guaranteed certainty. At his triumphant return, verse 21, Christ will transform the bodies of our humble state to conform with the glorious body of the risen and ascended Christ. Friends, we will be able, we will be able to, to worship and serve Christ wholeheartedly throughout all eternity and never grow weary and never sin in our new eternal occupation in a country we will be able to call home. And friends, can I say at this time we've got to believe this? We've got to believe right now in a world that is full of war and persecution. We've got to have a voice for the voiceless. We've got to believe that Jesus is in charge, that Jesus is on the throne, that Jesus is sovereign, that Jesus can and does bring good out of any situation, and that Jesus will return to make things right and bring everyone under his authority. We've got to believe that right now. So as we close, let me conclude. If the question is, what's the motivation to push on when things get really tough or uncertain? Friends, the answer is living with a goal. And according to Paul, we need to consider first the goal of self and then the goal of Christ. The goal of self, to realize and pursue the attitude that our past is hidden with Christ, that our present is temporary and our future is our primary motivation. And secondly, the goal of Christ, that it is the Christian's distinctive belief that it must be our personal longing and that it is a guaranteed outcome. I'll leave you with this this morning. Tom Landry is a former American football player and coach, and he said... The will to reach your goal is the most important quality of all champions. 
And so, friends, my prayer for you as a church this morning is that you would be a people who run with perseverance the race marked out for you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. I want to invite you, if you're able, would you stand with me? Maybe we can just kind of begin to respond. Perhaps this morning, you're somebody who has got those, you're in those middle kilometers. And you're thinking, is there, is there much point? What's the motivation? What's the goal here? Well, friends, can I encourage you this morning, even getting over that struggle is not your goal. If it is, we're not going to get very far. I want to encourage you to lift your your eyes high to Jesus this morning. Jesus, who is in charge, who is on the throne. Father, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that it's alive and active and that it speaks to us. You speak to our hearts and our souls And God, we declare that we need it. We declare that our own strength is not enough. Father, help us to have this mindset as Paul did. That we would view our lives in the right way. That we would view our past, present and future as all pointing towards that moment where we are face to face with Christ. And friends, would you, Lord, would you help us to, to, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? That Christ alone would be the goal when things get tough. That we would be distinctive people characterized by our hope of the future. That we would personally long to be transformed into the glorious body of Jesus. And that we would remember that it is a guaranteed certainty for all those in Christ. Father, help us to never lose sight of that hope. Even when things are rough. In Jesus' name.